Good morning, church. Say amen if you believe your Redeemer lives today. It's uh, Easter Sunday, and you know what that means. That's the Super Bowl for preachers. We love Easter Sunday. Now, Bill Smith told us when we were in preaching school to beware of the suitcase sermon. And what, that, what he meant by that was is that your suitcase sermon is the one you preach and you hope your bags are packed because you're probably going to be moving on after that day. So I don't work here anymore. So I no longer fear the suitcase sermon, so I just brought my own. Actually, the reason I brought these suitcases today was because I wanted to show you what my life is like these days. It revolves around suitcases. How much do they weigh? How much do they cost? Will they get where we're going? Did I remember where the tags were? And the biggest question of all is, how many bags do we take? That's the big question. So Lisa and I have had an ongoing debate about how many bags that we take on trips. Now, I have one simple rule when it comes to my suitcases and hers. We can't carry more suitcases than we have hands. That's a simple rule, right? We have two hands, so that means you get how many bags for two people? Do the math. Come on, work with me. That's four bags. Thank you, Trent. You're so educated that you, you knew that. So that's the rule. But the problem is, is that Josh McDowell said something very interesting. He said that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. And, and that's true because I, did, I didn't realize something. Now, you men here, you, you think, you, I say, well, more bags than hands. You think, well, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's logical, right? I mean, we can't roll them around if we don't have enough hands for them. But women, and especially my woman, has a relationship with what goes in the bag. She thinks about it. And, you know, I look at the closet. I think, okay, how many days are we going to be gone? I see it. And so I get that amount of clothes out, and I say, it's going to go into my one bag, or possibly two if it's a longer trip. But Lisa doesn't think like that. She says, well, I'm not sure what I want to wear that day. I was like, well, can't we make that decision here at the closet rather than at a hotel someplace. And she says, well, but some days I feel like this. And if I'm feeling fat, I want to wear that. And I was like, feeling fat? What, what does it even mean? I don't know. You either are or you aren't, right? <laughs> it's just logic to me, but not to her. Therefore, she breaks the rule frequently. And the reason why is because a rule without a relationship leads to rebellion. And that's true. There's no doubt about it. So my life revolves around things like this now because we travel so much. Another thing we realize, though, about baggage is that 15 years into our marriage, we realized that we had brought in a room full of suitcases. And they were filled with so much stuff from so much rebellion against God because we saw it. As, as rules, and we knew what we were supposed to do and not supposed to do, but we didn't have the right relationship. First with the Almighty, then with one another. And so we had these bags, and they were just all there, and we thought, well, you know, I mean, 
that's behind us, so we don't have to worry about it, but we never really opened them up and gave them to the Almighty. And so we just kept adding more baggage. Maybe you've been at that place before. Our problem was is that we weren't thinking outside the tomb. You were in the tomb. You see, the Apostle Paul told us that there were two tombs for all of us. The first one led to the second one. And we can go back in Genesis and we can read exactly how it all began. God had a simple rule, and it was just one. It was, it was if we're going to have a relationship, you've got to obey me. I'm perfect. And so what I'm telling you is, don't eat from that tree. One simple thing. But the evil one was there. Whisper, doubt. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to know what it's like to eat from that tree? And so the very first suitcase was one simple sin. And the violation caused a tomb, spiritual death. He said, you eat this, you're going to die. And the evil one came along and said, well, not really. You won't really die. He was a liar from the beginning, and he's still a liar to this day. They ate it, and they died. That first tomb they went into. And then that opened the door for the second tomb. Now, because they had broken the relationship with the Almighty God, now they faced another tomb. One day they and every human being after would face the second tomb for the body. But the first one, the one that kills your spirit, that's the one that does you in for all eternity. It's depressing if you stay there. Paul gives a blistering indictment in Romans 1 through 5 of just exactly how this happens. First, for those who claim we don't know anything about it, we don't believe in God, and yet they look at the universe and they have no explanation for where it came from. That is a revelation of God. Paul said when you look around, you say, oh, there's something big out there that made this. Whether you're willing to believe the Bible, whether you're willing to go to church, whether you're willing to listen to anybody about Jesus, you look around and say, there's more to this. So he says, you're without excuse. To the person who says, well, you know, I know some things and I'm not as bad as that first guy. He says, that won't cut it. Because you still sin. To the person who says, well, yeah, but I've been with God all along and I'm, I'm part of the Jewish family and, you know, I'm part of that original tree and that's good enough for me. He says, no, it won't work. Without Jesus, Paul would go on to say, there is no hope. In fact, he said in Romans chapter 6, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Is that good news? Oh my goodness. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and we would no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died, tomb has been set free from sin. So when I think about that, now we're thinking outside the tomb. You can commit your heart and life to God, embrace Him by faith, 
You can reenact what he did at the cross and in the grave and come to life. And therefore, you're out of that tomb of the law of sin and death. In Romans chapter 7, he would go on to talk about how we battle with that past baggage. And it's a battle. Look, as long as we're alive and we're here and sin is still reigning, I mean, it's a battle, is it not? But how could we possibly forget what he tells us in Romans chapter 8? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit is living in you and in me. Are you kidding me? How could we ever forget that? Why would we ever want to go back and get in that old tomb? And yet Peter said this in 2 Peter 1. A growing faith keeps you from being nearsighted and blind. It causes you to be unproductive and ineffective and also forgetting that you have been cleansed from your past sin. Who, would, who could forget that? It's the greatest thing that would ever happen. And yet, because Peter said it, I know that people do it. And I know that I've done it. I just go grab those bags back and get back in that tomb. And I don't grow. And I become unproductive and ineffective. I have doubting moments. I have moments of faithlessness. I become stagnant. And I don't realize that I am free from the law of sin and death. You see, thinking outside the tomb, resurrection thinking, reminds me every single day that my past does not control me. The forgiveness of Christ, the resurrection from the dead, shows me that I can live new every single day. Mike was mentioned about community. There was, uh, I was preaching a few weeks ago in North Carolina about forgiveness and the gospel same message everywhere we go. And afterwards, we were talking and meeting people and signing some books. The 63-year-old man came up, and he kind of slipped in behind me, and he, he was crying. And I was talking to people, but he was talking in my ear. So I, I said, hang on, just let me, let me talk to this gentleman. He said, thank you so much for today. God brought you here for me. He said, for the last 15 years, I've been holding a grudge against my wife. But today I'm going home, and I'm going to offer and extend forgiveness. Finally, he decided to get out of the tomb. He'd been fighting it for 15 years. I said, brother, I've been in that same place. Praise God that you were open to hear that message for you. We don't need to be bound by that. Isaiah said in Isaiah 5.18, Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit, and wickedness as with cart ropes. Dragging your bags. Do you want to be well with your soul today? Do you want to be cleansed from the past? Do you want to not forget what God has done in your life? Do you want to be freed from the law of sin and death? You sin, you die. You want to be free from that? Think outside the tomb and cut your cord today. Cut the ropes. Let God take it. Open the suitcases and give them to him. Why would we want to carry it any longer? Father, I'm just grateful we have the opportunity every 
time we get together, not just on Resurrection Sunday, although it is a special day to remember who you are, but also, Father, just to be able to always be free from the law of sin and death. That came about because of your son, Jesus. And I know because I've been in this very room or in some other place and I've been burdened by something that I just have not been able to give to you. Some baggage that I've just carried for too long. And I pray today, Father, there will be someone who gives you that baggage and becomes free in their heart and in their soul. We love you, Father. We're so thankful for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is alive. <laughs> and turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's get this show on the road, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I had the opportunity to travel from Louisiana to Wichita, Kansas over the past week. And in the course of that journey, I passed through an area of the country where a young man lives that I've discipled for the past couple of years. And this particular young man has really resisted God, and he's been immersed in drugs and in alcohol, and God is transforming his life even as we speak. And I got to visit with this young man, and he said, Trent, I got a job. And I said, brother, praise the Lord. That's the first step in really anchoring yourself in your recovery. He said, no, you don't understand. This job the Lord has used to capture my heart. I said, tell me about it. He said, I got a job working at a funeral home. And he said, my job at this funeral home is to go to the location where people have passed away and take their bodies to this funeral home so that that particular individual can be serviced by the mortician. He said, I've never had that much close experience with death in my life. He said, let me tell you what I've dealt with in this past week. And I'm not going to make these descriptions graphic, but I want to give you a sense of what this young man is dealing with. He said, Trent, earlier in the week, I picked up a 15-year-old kid who was killed as a result of gang violence. He said, this young man was shot three times in the back, pronounced dead on the scene, and I had to go and move him to the funeral home where I worked. He said, I went to the location of another young person who passed away. She was 18 years old. She died of a heroin overdose. And I walked in, and I have to transport her from the location where she passed to the funeral home where she could be serviced by this funeral home. He said, Trent, I started to fall deep into a depression. I felt sick. My stomach was constantly in knots. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't talk to people. I lost the ability almost to feel. I became so much in despair until I remembered that Jesus could help me deal with what I'm dealing with day to day. I said, Bud, what do you mean? And he said, Jesus is the only being in the universe who can grant us victory over death. If you are thinking outside the tomb about your future, then you've got to start thinking about what's going to happen on the day when your number gets punched and your earthly body lays down and you pass from this earth. The Apostle Paul had that thought on his mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you got your Bible, you can turn there very briefly. I'm going to start in the 54th verse. But for all those men and women who have decided to become clothed in Christ, for those men and women who have decided to be baptized into Christ, who have obeyed the gospel, there is coming a day when your perishable body will be clothed with the imperishable. 
and your mortal self will be clothed in immortality. And at that moment, the saying that has been written will become true, that death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory, Paul would say. Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death, he goes on to say, is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But look how this ends. But thanks be to God who grants us victory over death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody offer the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. God grants us victory over death. And there are three ways you can look at the end of your life. Some people I run into are apathetic. They really just don't care. Trent, I'm not interested in talking about it. I don't need a plan. I'm living in the now. I want to be fulfilled right now. I want to think about right now. I, want to don't think, I don't want to think about tomorrow. And those people are fools who would spend eternity separated from God. Then there are some people who feel afraid. They're trapped in sin and shame and guilt and inadequacy. And they say, Trent, I would love to have victory over death. I just don't know if that's intended for me. And to those people, I would say it's intended for you. God sent his son because he loves not just some, but the whole entire world. And then there are those people who have already obeyed the gospel, have been clothed in Christ, and they live in not apathy or fear, but victory. And if we'll live in that kind of victory, then not only will we... Well, we think outside the tomb about our future and know we have victory in death. But thinking outside the tomb about our future also means we have hope in the midst of despair. Outside the tomb thinking gives us victory over death. It also gives us hope in despair. Go to John chapter 11. There are two sisters, Mary and Martha, who have a brother named Lazarus who has passed away. And they're confronting death, but this is a moment for them of despair. And Jesus comes to Martha, who's weeping and broken and shattered. And he says to her this, Matthew chapter 11, uh, John chapter 11, verse 25. Listen to this, church. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks her a question that you have to answer for yourself. He says, Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe what I'm telling you? Do you believe it's true? I am the resurrection and the life. Church family, friend out there, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? It's the most important question you'll ever answer. And if the answer to that question is yes, then there is no despair that you cannot overcome. There is no heartache that you can't beat. There is no deep valley that God can't lift you up from because Jesus Christ has risen. He's alive. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us some evidence, and I'm not going to go through this whole part, but the Lord Jesus Christ appeared, and I, hopefully you know this, to over 500 people in the New Testament. The reason why the resurrection is so critical is because of what Jesus says in Matthew or in John chapter 11. He said that he was the resurrection and the life. Jesus told us that he would raise from the dead. And if the resurrection didn't happen, then the testimony of Christ is not true. And the hope that we're intended to have in the midst of despair, in the midst of feeling defeated, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of depression, we would not have. But because Jesus is alive, we have hope in the midst of despair. 
I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, knew a lot about despair kinds of situations. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul talks about a few of these. He says, there, church family, there are times in life where you are going to feel hard-pressed on every side. You're going to feel hard-pressed on every side. You're going to feel pressure from your family. You're going to feel pressure from your career. You're going to feel pressure from your friends. You're going to feel pressure because of your flesh. You're going to feel all these pressures in your life. But if you know the answer to the question, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you can be hard-pressed on every single side and still not be crushed. There are sometimes Paul went through perplexing situations. This is the next situation he addresses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. There are times where you're going to go through a perplexing situation. Those are the situations that make us go, God, Why? Why am I going through this right now? Why am I going through a divorce? Why do I have a loved one who's battling addiction? Why am I struggling with this severe terminal illness? God, why can't I get this hidden sin out of my life? Why are these certain people mistreating me? God, why is there division in my family? God, why am I drifting from my friends? Why have I realized, God, these situations are perplexing me. But if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you might feel perplexed from time to time, but you'll never despair. And sometimes in life we're going to feel persecuted. The Apostle Paul knew that all too well. We're going, to we're going to allow the Spirit of God to begin to transform our lives, and people are going to notice the change, and they're going to be challenged by it. And when people are challenged by our transformation, the knee-jerk reaction for most people is going to be to criticize it. And we're going to try to listen to different music or wear more appropriate clothes or do more appropriate activities in our leisure time or stop saying certain words and begin saying other words. And people are going to hear that change and they're going to begin to persecute us. But if we believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, even in moments we feel persecuted, we will not feel abandoned. Because we know that Jesus is alive. The last thing Paul addresses in this little passage of Scripture, and I think he does a good job of describing all the junk we can experience in life. He says there are going to be moments not just where you feel hard-pressed on every side, not just where you feel perplexed, not just where you feel persecuted, but you actually have been struck down. Life has kicked you in the teeth. And it feels like you're down for the count. And it feels like no strength of your own is going to restore you back to your feet and get you back on the path that God wants you to walk, to get you back into your calling and to get you back into your purpose. But if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, church family, you don't have to always depend on your strength to get you back up to your feet. Come on, church. You can depend on the same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead to restore you back to your feet and back into your calling. You can be struck down and not destroyed because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. The very next chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to wrap with this. In the 17th verse, not only does thinking outside the tomb offer, offer you victory over death, and not only does thinking outside the tomb offer you hope and despair, thinking outside the tomb offer, offers you freedom from defeat. Freedom from defeat. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I think so often in the, in the resurrection we're thinking it's a, some future thing. 
There is coming a time where my body's going to be healed. There is going to come a time where this, the chains that have bound me are going to be gone, where the prison I've been uh, kept in because of sin, because of struggle, because of difficulty is, is going to fade away. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you can experience a part of the resurrection right now. You can obey the gospel and be totally born again into Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul goes on to say. If any man be in Christ, he is, what's that next phrase? A new creation. That's resurrection today. That's resurrection right now. He is a new creation. The old, he goes on to say, look, this is what I'm talking about. The old junk is gone. The old pain, the old sin, the old struggle, the old burden, the old agony. That can be gone. And the brand new stuff that God created you to experience, that God's calling you to experience, that God's purpose is for you to experience, all that is going to come. And how is that possible? How can we experience that freedom? Because God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us who knew No sin, so that you could have some brand new righteousness in Jesus Christ, your Lord. And there are people who have been praying for you, friend. There are people who have been praying that those chains that have you bound are going to fall. Today it's time to hear some chains falling all across the building. It's time to hear some freedom happening all across the building. It's time to hear a little resurrection happening all across the building. Because Jesus Christ is alive. Let's pray. God, I've been praying for this church. And every person under the sound of my voice and every person that will be in our second service. God, that the chains that have bound them would be broken in the name of Jesus. And that your anointing would just fill this place in both services. And that we'd hear chains falling. Chains falling because we know that in death we will be victorious because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Chains falling because we have hope even in the midst of despair because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Chains falling that grant freedom even when it looks like we're going to be defeated because Jesus Christ himself has overcome death and hell and the grave. And I just ask that every person under the sound of my voice this morning, God, would be empowered by your spirit and compelled by the message of your resurrection to come forward and let the chains be broken. I ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.